0: Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. She's a former law enforcement officer, an expert in martial arts. She's taught self-defense in many police academies. She's a podcaster and more. Be sure to look for the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show all over social media. We're on Facebook. Look for a Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. On mewee.com. Look for a Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. On Twitter. Follow LET Radio Show PO1. On Instagram. Follow LET Radio Show Podcast. On Rumble, look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. And on Gab.com, search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Again, our website is letradioshow.com. Hope to see you online soon. Colleagues from Maine, we have Autumn Clifford on the phone. Autumn has quite a story. She's a law enforcement officer. She's got, I'll just call it an expert in martial arts. She's been doing defense training for law enforcement officers in different police academies. She's a podcaster. She's a speaker. What don't you do, Autumn?
1: (laughs) I haven't figured that out, Jay. (laughs) I Uh, don't sing.
0: You make That's it. I don't sing well. I tell people I sing all the time, uh, but I don't do it with the radio on because I also am a a music FM music radio jock as well. Uh, You're a current law enforcement or former? What's your current status?
1: So I am a current, but I'm in a part-time capacity. to just basically to maintain my credentials.
0: Gotcha. See, that's something I'm not familiar with where I policed in in Maryland. We didn't have part-time. We didn't have reservists. Uh, we just had full-time sworn personnel. Uh, before we get into your story, you do a lot of stuff. And a lot of people will find information about everything you do online at autumnclifford.com. you got a podcast called Changing the Culture Podcast. It's part of the L.E.T. Podcast Network. You just go to letradioshow.com, the Be Heard tab, and you'll find it right there. You also do a Google search for Changing the Culture Podcast. You'll find it as well. What are all the different things you do?
1: Well, I do quite a bit. I'm an adjunct uh, criminal justice professor, which has been really fun. Um, And I am a life coach. I I specifically now help first responders. And, yes, I'm a second-degree black belt. I've taught self-defense for many years. (laughs) Um, and I do the, and I do the, uh, part-time police work. So I was injured. So I don't do full-time anymore. We'll talk more about that, but now I'm really in a community policing position and in the capacity to really kind of make a difference in a, in a very small community. And it's, um, it's been, it's been really good.
0: Well, thank you for your services. Very much appreciated. And uh, the injuries—they're common in law enforcement. Uh, I don't know if anybody does a significant career in law enforcement doesn't walk away with at least one surgery, if not multiples. Uh, that's just the physical injuries. It, back injuries are very, very common. Mine was a right hand and wrist, multiple steel plates. And everybody I know in law enforcement is mentally scarred to some degree or another.
1: So true, and that's why I'm out. Doing the life coaching thing and really trying to help. Uh, we need we need healthy first responders out there to take care of us.
0: And your podcast, briefly, what is that about?
1: Well, that podcast is really about like pulling up car to car. So it's the experience um, my listeners have. Like if they were to pull up next to me when I was on patrol and we'd just be kind of talking and shooting the breeze, and and they get a and they learn a lot about that.
0: One of the things that I like about this show. Is, And I've been saying this for a long time, Autumn, that, that we in the police profession have relied on the news media to tell our stories for too long. And they've done a horrible job. And in the last five years or so, it's been so biased in reporting and doesn't even remotely resemble the truth. And what Hollywood puts out doesn't really accurately present or even closely represent what law enforcement is like and other first responder jobs in the United States. Are, do you agree with me?
1: Oh, fully. The thing about, you know, the thing about Hollywood, what's coming up in my mind is we see the, you know, we see these actors, we see the movies and like, let's be honest, we all love a good, you know, we like a good cop show, have a favorite couple few end of watch. If anybody's familiar with that, that's a great, you know, it's a really great one, but we don't get to see the life and the buildup of that officer. So we get to see them in a situation or a few different scenarios, but we don't really get to know what makes that officer that officer. And I think that's really important.
0: It also doesn't really give a a good representation, in my opinion, of the amount of violence we see. Violence not necessarily inflicted upon us, although that was significant. I went through quite a bit. But just seeing what you see all the time, especially in a family environment.
1: Yes, so true.
0: Domestics, family disputes, it didn't matter. People say, you signed up for this, you know what you got into. I really didn't know, I thought I knew, but I had Mm. real no concept of how violent our American society really is
1: hundred percent. When I got on the job, I mean I was I was a young woman I was 20, 20 years old, and um, I saw my first dead body on the job. It was like my first day on uh, field training and I saw my first dead body and it was it was it was actually pretty traumatizing for me because I had never seen a dead body and not only did I have to see it, you know I had to investigate a scene and a situation.
0: Not to be morbid. But I went through the same thing as a young patrolman and you're trained on what to do. You know the protocols, you know basic investigation, everything else, and we got called for every unintended death. And this one turned out to be an old man who who died from old age and several uh, diseases, and he was in a bathtub. And I was freaking out, because I was like 21, Yep. and I was like, how can you really tell for sure if the guy's not alive? And your mind is telling you that the guy's definitely dead, but you're touching him going, he's cold. Well, maybe it's the water. And you just don't yep. want to make a mistake so badly because yep. literally it's about someone's life or death. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and And until you're in that situation, you don't realize the amount of like pressure, the amount of adrenaline, what your brain does. I, I mean, I remember, um, with my first situation, my first death, like in my mind, that person like was sleeping because he, it was, it was just, it was an elderly gentleman. He died in his sleep. Thank goodness. It wasn't awful. He had been there for a while, but I'm like, oh my goodness, maybe he's just sleeping. And then I'm like, no, no, he's not like, this is real. Get your, you know, act together. But I was just, it's kind of stunned. You know, you just don't, you don't really know. And And then, like you said, you have to, investigate so you have to touch the body and that was that was pretty devastating and turning him on his side was absolutely devastating for me because because his body changed (laughs) you know it was no longer what you like a normal
0: person it's not like tv either i one of the things i tell people all the time is when we had new people out of the academy uh what we would do when i was a sergeant if we had a call for a homicide or call for a decomposing body or something of that nature, we would get on the radio and call all the rookies up there and they had to go in the room because they had to learn how to do this part of the job. Yeah. And that part of the yeah. job is horrible. Uh, it, yeah. Look, when you got a phone, when you got a call for services said the neighbors have not seen him for days and uh, the windows are closed and mail is stacked up. And you walk up there, and there's flies on the inside of the window. You know it's not, it's not a good. good. Thing. And Hollywood does, doesn't show that. I, I can tell you, Autumn. Without going into gory details, we used to carry a can of Lysol with us in uh, uh-huh. our our patrol bag and spray ourselves down afterwards. And that wouldn't get rid of the stench. There was no way to get rid of it.
1: What we would do up here is um, we carry, and I, I still do, is uh, carry Vicks. And put it in your nose.
0: Yeah, I tried that too. I can just inhale a lot lot better all the the toxic fumes. We are talking with <laughs> Autumn Clifford. Autumn has a fascinating story about her law enforcement career. And by the way, she does so much to help law enforcement in the community. This is the Law Enforcement Show. Radio is and should always be free. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is also a podcast, and it is free. Costs you nothing. Do a Google search for Law Enforcement Today podcast, or go to letradioshow.com. Click the Be Heard" tab, and you'll find us right there. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page, where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues. We love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Return to conversation with Autumn Clifford, law enforcement officer, trainer, podcaster, second degree black belt in martial arts. She's trained self-defense for police academies in New England as well. And uh, one of the things I love about you autumn and this show in particular is breaking stereotypes and you as a female officer as a female in law enforcement and you said earlier you're 20 21 years old when you first started and i was 21 when i first started and really had no idea what's going on you try to handle people's situations their problems in life and you're 21 still wet behind the ears.
1: yes 100 percent. and i can just say you know, as a 20-year-old, I was 20 when I got into law enforcement, um, and it was—it was something that there is there's nothing really out there to prepare uh, a young woman for what she's about to go through. Because um, not only is the job, you know, traumatizing and emotional, and you know, we need to be all of these things, but then we, you know, we can we can get right into you know the amount of attention a woman gets. For any, you know, even males, as a law enforcement officer, you get a lot of attention. The uniform brings a lot of attention to you. But I'll tell you, as a female, it was something I just was very unprepared for. Just the amount of all eyes on me all the time, all the time, all the time, um, especially from coworkers. It was something I just wasn't prepared for.
0: I don't think you brought up a great memory because I don't think I would have mentioned that until you did. Being a police officer in uniform is very much like being in a fishbowl everybody notices you. When you drive a marked patrol car, everybody notices you. And it was very rare where we worked. We were so busy, and we had our what we call our post concepts where you didn't want people handing calls in your posts. We didn't get a lunch break very often. But when I did, on the very rare occasions, in uniform, when I went to a fast food restaurant for something to eat, if there was a maniac or knucklehead anywhere around, they'd come talk to you. Mm -hmm. It just is unavoidable.
1: Oh, it totally and. And, you know, where I where I first started was um, in central Maine. And it's a big mental health area. And what happened was one of the biggest mental health hospitals, um, they shut down a few years prior to me getting uh, in there and they shut down like half capacity. So all of the people, these mental health patients, they went into halfway homes, and in my patrol. So now I'm in the city and I'm, you know, with people and, you know, I'm trying to figure it out when you're young and like, you know, you're on FTO and you're all these things and you're like completely immersed when you're somebody who didn't, I grew up a half an hour North of where I patrolled and there's, you know, pros and cons to that, but getting to understand the mental health population, it was, it was, it was, was, I'll tell you, absolutely. (laughs) It was, it was something that nobody could have prepared me for that way either until you do it. It, it. People tell you stories, but until you actually experience it in my opinion there's nothing that can prepare you for it
0: there really isn't anything and not to make police or law enforcement sound like superheroes but our society and rightfully so demands a lot of our law enforcement we expect 21 22 23 year olds to be able to quickly diagnose someone who has mental health issues and who is in a, a state of distress and needs help and maybe exhibiting threatening behavior and mm-hmm. to react in a way where they talk about de escalating it, where they don't have to use force to end the situation and get the person the help they need. Everybody wants to do that. Every cop I know wants to do that. But you don't Absolutely. always have control of how threatening the situations become.
1: No no i mean we we so the thing in my opinion and everybody has their own opinion is that i really believe that policing is very reactive we're very reactive no matter what to the you know the situation presented at hand we have to react to those circumstances
0: of course it's reactive it's very much reactive in your opinion i agree with 100% i did have a conversation with autumn uh, off the year and For everybody in law enforcement, they might use different terms, but when you're in a phase of graduating academy, either immediately afterwards, or right before you graduate, which is our case, you go into what they call field training, with a field training officer, or FTO. And you went through that, just like all of us did, and you experience everything, because you're with that officer, and you're handling calls, and you're writing reports, you're doing investigations, and you get corrected as you make mistakes. It's a way of learning on the job. But the real rude awakening for many of us is when you get out of that FTO phase and all of a sudden the patrol car is ears and you get your first call for service and you gotta handle it.
1: Absolutely. Some of the that was um, my FTO experience was some of the most interesting times of my life. I I had two different field training officers. One was really good. And then the other one, um, not so much. And so what they actually kicked me out of FTO, like five weeks early. So a whole month early, the second FTO was like, yeah, you're on your own sinker or, sinker or swim kid.
0: <laughs> I remember I never made it my first call for service. When I got out of the Academy, we did FTO before you graduated. Then out of the Academy, we were sent to the district we we're assigned to. I was given a, mm-hmm a copy of a map of my of my post in the post in our district and our sector and a battery for the patrol, for the radio. We switched radios, switched patrol car. I got a call for, we called way down in the hole. I never found it, never found it. And it was nonstop call after call after call. And most were routine. Most were not violence and all that stuff. But every now and then they popped up. Mm-hmm. You encountered one of those almost immediately after f t o didn't you
1: oh yes absolutely it was uh it was it was um, a situation that I remember very clearly to this day if that you know leads you to understand the kind of impression that that had with me i the what happened is i was about i don't even know maybe ten seconds twenty seconds away from this house. I was um, sitting with another officer, car to car, having a conversation, and a call came over the air. And the call was that a male had a shotgun to a female's head, and I remember like hearing that. And when you're when you're new, and you, you know, you have to understand. Like m- my adrenaline is through the roof. Okay, so I'm just like whoa, and like. It, it, it becomes very hard to process things. So like a senior officer, we've, as a senior officer, you've dealt with things like that over and over again. So you just kind of, even though your adrenaline gets high, you're not as, you know, sensitive um, as somebody who's brand new and is like the pucker factor is just real. <laughs> so I um I turn around and I go code, go to this house. Again, it takes me like 10 seconds from the time this is dispatched. And, and if you are, you know, just just understand, getting there that quickly can sometimes be very, very bad because you're right in the middle of a very intense call. Sometimes when officers um, get dispatched, it's like a five-minute delay. Sometimes the call kind of resolves itself or the intensity is slower. And we kind of hope call.
0: that it does. We were talking with Autumn Clifford, and we're going to turn to this conversation about this life-and-death call that she handles still impacts her today. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. Autumn, by the way, is a podcaster. She's a trainer. She's a law enforcement officer and trains police academies in self-defense. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click, like, and follow. As click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on law enforcement today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the L.E.T. podcast network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the law enforcement today podcast network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Our guest, Autumn Clifford, is a law enforcement officer in Maine. She's also a second-degree black belt in martial arts, teaches self-defense the police academies. She's a podcaster. Her podcast is called Changing the Culture Podcast. Go to letradioshow.com, the Be Her tab, L-E-T Podcast Network, you'll find it right there, or just do a search for Changing Culture Podcast. You'll also get more information about her at Autumn. Clifford.com. Before the break autumn, you started describing this call for service, man armed with a shotgun pointing at a woman's head, and you're driving there, and I, I immediately started to zone out because when you go to these hot calls, I mean, life and death calls, and are dangerous calls, your heart rate starts to elevate. Uh, you, you start to get the adrenaline going. You start racing through your head. What are the procedures? What am I supposed to do? I don't want to mis- make a mistake. I hope this is unfounded.
1: Absolutely. I the exactly. For me I was like, what am I gonna do? The thought I mean, when I when I had this call, I hadn't yet been to the full time academy, which is common practice up here is you go on FTO, you get trained, you get kind of released um for a month or two, a couple months, and then you go to the full time academy, you come out and you're a full time certified officer. So at that time I was working, um, it was what we call in Maine, you have your green pin. And so I'm like, Oh my goodness, like what is going to happen? Because what you, you know, what you have to understand is that in law enforcement, there are the two most dangerous calls a law enforcement officer can go to are a suicidal subject in a domestic violence situation. And so this was obviously a domestic violence situation, but it could have quickly turned into a suicidal subject, right? And then it could have quickly turned into, I'm going to point my gun at you. And so all of this is racing through my head in a matter of seconds. My, I'm, in a, I'm in a state of complete hypervigilance, which means all everything in me is just peaking. I'm at the top. And unless you have practiced um, navigating through that, you're kind of in like, you know, they call like a red or some people call it like the black zone. Like you're just like sometimes some people can like lose peripheral vision and all these things. Thankfully, I had been on months of FTO, been in high stress situations. So I was obviously able to function. But my head is just like, oh, my goodness, like, am I going to, is he going to try to shoot me? Am I going to have to shoot this person? Is the wife okay? Is the family who's in the house? Like, okay, and then I'm starting to think about as I'm getting there. And again, this is a matter of 10 to 20 seconds. I'm like, where is this house? Who's surrounding this house? Where? Where's the public? I want the public to be safe. You know, where are my backup officers? I want them to be safe. And I'm brand new. So I don't have the experience and I don't have all the forethinking that, you know, my supervisor, my FTO, who were going, my F, my old FTO, I was no longer on field training, off their field training, but he was coming. And so they have all this foresight. And so we go code and what code means is my lights and my siren are activated. And so I'm, I get there. And of course, you shut it down and we park and we're on a safe distance away. And the guy comes out. And this was so incredibly stressful. It was, um, in an apartment complex. And so this was inner city houses, you know, apartment complexes lined right up. This had to about a six um, unit apartment complex. And he was at the top and it was like this um, set of stairs that came out um, right from the sidewalk. So, and he was at the top of the stairs. Okay. And he had a gun and he's hysterical. And then thankfully we hear, we hear the female, She's hysterical, so I know she's alive, and he has the gun, but he doesn't have the gun pointed at anybody at this time. He just has the gun in his hand, so think of it. It's vertical. He has it in his hand, and he's shaking the gun, and he's just hysterically crying. He's upset. He's angry, and he's yelling, and then so we have multiple officers, and we're, you know, about as safe a distance as we can be, and I'm thinking the whole time, Holy cow, holy cow, holy cow. What is going on? What is going on? And that's literally, that's like what I'm thinking because this is obviously very scary to me at, you know, a 21-year-old brand new officer. And so what ends up happening is he, um, a senior officer starts making, having conversation with him. And it's not a calm conversation the way that you and I are having a conversation right, right. now. It is, you know, he is um, like a crisis negotiator at that point. He is negotiating with him. He's telling him, "You need to put that gun down. Put the gun down, please. Let us save your life. We're going to save her life. Like, put the gun down." Because the truth is, is, if you know, he just put that gun and started pointing. Okay, our way or her way, he, he would have gotten shot. That's
0: and literally, that could be a matter of inches.
1: Oh yes. Because
0: what it's I about mean. is, for me people ask and I can't really explain because they weren't there but the difference between shooting and not shooting all depends on your perception about is there a threat to the life of either you or someone else so literally you could be okay with what you're seeing and not see a threat and someone five feet to your right could view it as a threat
1: yes absolutely you're 100% right and so that's why this officer that was negotiating with this gentlemen, it was just so important. It was so important. And it was so important. And well, here's another thing that was really important. is, And this is like something that maybe a lot of people might not think about. And honestly, I never really thought about until I was in this situation was like, you want to get in a safe spot, right? Because I didn't want to be shot. But at the same time, I needed a clear picture on what was going on in case I needed to take action. Because the whole point of the police being called was to save this woman's life because he had a gun up to her head basically saying, I'm going to kill you. He didn't, I, you know, by the grace of God. But that, so, so it was a very peculiar situation that a police officer finds them in. It's like, you need to go and deal with the threat, but you need to do it safely, but you want to save lives. But you don't, but if you get shot, then you're just another casualty. Like, you didn't add and help you were a problem, you
0: know, it doesn't help. Right. Yeah, like we were always taught, on the way to the scene of a hot call, you want to get there safely. You can't help if you're not there, number one. Number two, if you become a casualty, you can't help because now people have to help you. Uh, And we had limited resources. And and it's a different thing than combat military veterans on the battlefield because you're at home this is United States citizens you're dealing with and people that that are not doing well, obviously. What year was this that this happened?
1: Oh, geez, Um, let's see, 2011 or 2012.
0: Okay, so we're talking about eight, nine, possibly even 10 years ago. Yeah. This is before we started having a lot of the conversations nationally about de-escalation and de-escalation tactics, correct?
1: Yep, I, I believe it was before the big de-escalation But we were de-escalating That's the whole thing <laughs> I'm getting
0: at Yeah, We were taught from day one That you, you engage you, you talk with the person First of all, we were rude We were loud We were taught things, a term called verbal judo And the reason yeah. we did that And for people who would see it Go, that officer is so rude, so discourteous That's an emotionally disturbed person That they're yelling at And they're using harsh language the reason that was done is because it's designed to get the person into a defensive plane where they're not yeah. offensive anymore and they start thinking, ultimately, I don't want this to escalate to use of force. So that's why the officers talk that way. So we were taught early on, the first thing you try to do is make sure you're safe, make sure that other people are safe as best as you can at that point, and then find a way to engage them in conversation. Find a point where you guys can have a conversation. Because you can't de-escalate until that occurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking with Autumn Clifford uh, on the Law Enforcement Today Show, law enforcement officer from Maine. She's also a podcaster. She is an instructor and a martial artist. So much more in return. We're going to talk about this potential use of force situation, how it wound up, how they ended it, and much more. Catch all the episodes of Law Enforcement Today Show as a podcast. For free, do a Google search for Law Enforcement Today podcast, or just go to letradioshow.com. Click the Be Heard tab, and you'll find us right there. Don't We'll be right back. Be sure to look for the Law Enforcement Today radio show all over social media. We're on Facebook. Look for Law Enforcement Today radio show. On MeWe.com, look for Law Enforcement Today radio show. On Twitter. Follow LET Radio Show PO One on Instagram. Follow LET Radio Show Podcast. On Rumble, look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. And on Gab.com, search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Again, our website is LET Radio Show.com. Hope to see you online soon. Back to our conversation with Autumn Clifford, Law Enforcement Officer from Maine. Also, a podcaster, host of the Changing the Culture podcast. You can go to letradioshow dot the Be Her tab, find it amongst many other great podcasts there, or do a Google search for Changing the Culture podcast. Also, her website is autumnclifford.com. dot For when to break autumn, you're talking about this call. Brief overview: uh, a suspect, as a term we use a lot, it was a domestic disturbance call. He had a gun pointing towards a woman's head. He was upset. You and other officers have him surrounded you're basically just off of you're wet behind the ears rookie um mm. and you're trying to save this woman's life and talk him out talk him down so that force doesn't have to be used were you able to successfully do that
1: yeah i absolutely um thankfully so what ended up happening was again you know so i'm brand new i was not the point officer here i was I was with a bunch of senior officers, and so typically, a our, our rookie will know their, you know, know their space, <laughs> yeah, know, know where they need to be. Don't know their place. <laughs> so I did
0: stand over there and just look menacing. Don't say anything. It, Don't do anything.
1: That's exactly right. That was exactly right. Uh, so I'm, I'm there, and um, I'm a safe distance, and and the guy comes out and he has a gun, and. But it's not pointed at us. He's got it. It's vertically, but he's shaking it around, and it very quickly could have escalated. So a senior officer starts negotiating and talking with him, and you know, drop the weapon, just put it down. You're gonna be fine. Come talk to me. Come talk to me. And it sounds like it happened very quickly. It, it took it took like three minutes for this guy to set this gun down. But what you and what you have to understand, he dropped the gun. But those three minutes felt like three hours. Absolutely. Because you are so focused, and you're like, if this guy, just, if he puts that gun, if he maneuvers it, if he does anything, you know, what if he gun butts her? Because he has her, like, he she's, like, right next to him. And I can't remember if he had her, like, in a chokehold at that time. At some point he did. He had the gun up to her head, and they were wrestling and this stuff. But I, I can't remember where she was at, but I know she was clearly near him. And so we're watching him, watching her from a safe distance. I'm down on the road, on the streets. He's up at like three stories, uh, but he's outside on on this deck. And um, the senior officer is talking to him and and gets him down. And um, guy comes down and then he starts fighting. (laughs) He like swings at this officer, which I I couldn't understand for the life of me. But all I could think is, I believe he was on drugs and he was so angry and so frustrated. And, you know, the the senior officer gets him to walk down the stairs by himself and drop the gun. And so he does. And the officer, you know, grabs his arm because he's obviously under arrest. And at that point it was on. But the officer was able to, you know, before anybody could even get there and assist him, uh, the officer was able to effect an arrest. Um, The guy calmed down and, and, you know, he's crying and, he was arrested. Uh, the woman. And it's pretty sad uh, to, to see ar- that.
0: That's the other he- part of it. It's very sad. I don't know. Yeah. What do they describe it? When people are that upset, they're that disturbed, they're that emotionally off balance. It's almost. It really to you your heartstrings, but you've got to take them into custody, and you've got to get them to, to medical examination, wh- find out whether they're okay, whether criminal charges are placed. It's kind of out of your hands at that point. But thinking, what what gets people to that point?
1: Well, I w- I'd like to just add this really quickly, and then I'll answer that. You know, we can talk about that, but I want to say this: is that was really traumatizing for me, um, and I'll never, I would never, and I will never forget this gentleman's name. And it was, it was, it was very scary, okay, because I, I, I had never seen people act like that, and as a brand new officer, like I just, I didn't come from, a, I mean, I come from an Italian family. Everyone yells, and everybody is a, you know, an, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, Everybody is that. But the thing is, is, like, I, I've never been in, like, I didn't grow up like that. That was to see a domestic violence situation like that with a gun, and that was very traumatizing for me. And I never forgot that that guy's face and never forgot his name. And, you know, he, he went, he, he was arrested, and it was sad because it's like, geez, what happened, like you said, like, what brought, like, this happening? Three, I'd say, like, a year later, because I went to the academy three months later. So a year later... I'm out on the road now. I'm, you know, fully trained up officer and I have a call and I go and it was, uh, I think it was like a, I want to say it was like a loud noise complaint uh, in an apartment and I find this same gentleman hiding in a closet, but he's not hiding from me. He's like living in this closet and it was And he was not, like, this tough guy, didn't have any weapons or anything. He wasn't this big, tough guy that he was that night. He was, like, this meek and, like, just, like, I'm just chilling here. Like, my friend, like, I get to stay with him. I don't really have a room. They have, like, a one-bedroom apartment, so I'm, like, staying in this closet. And I'm, like, and it was just so, like, wow, what happened from you to go and be this person who was obviously having a mental breakdown, like, but, but enough, but violent enough to hold a shotgun up to his girlfriend's head to end up, you know, a year or so later, now you're living in a closet and very like, I don't want any problems. I'm sorry. You know, ma'am officer, very polite, very fine with me. And I think the answer to that question uh, was drugs. I think he was addicted to drugs.
0: You're probably right. And, uh, in my career, I got to see people in so many different degrading situations. Not always they put themselves in, it, where they lived in subhuman conditions. And we could talk about that at length at another time. When, when this call was over, when the guy was successfully taken into custody, it's like you go from being at revel, level red where you're on fire and all your nerves are focused on this and trying to successfully de-escalate it to everything's over with, now you can go about your business and handle a parking complaint. hmm And it's it's not that easy to yeah. do, is it?
1: No. Nope. And and that's the hypervigilance pattern. There's a author, I'm sure you're familiar with him, Jay. His name is Dr. Kevin Gilmartin. Oh yeah. He yeah. So he he wrote a book called The Emotional Survival of Law Enforcement. And so um he was a police officer. He's retired uh, from Arizona now and, and um he wrote a book for us and and so he talks about this hypervigilance pattern and I've expanded upon that in what I do now. And, and, and you're right and, and this is, um, it's, if you don't know how to deal with your emotions, uh, from, for somebody, and this could be really with any profession for somebody who goes from high stress and, the, and we're talking like in like 20 minute interval, like intervals, right? So it's like high stress, low stress, high stress, no stress, super high stress okay nothing yeah. and and you and you go through that um, you know 40 50 60 hours a week for years on end and you think that that doesn't have an impact on your life and your nerves and your mood um, then to, to be
0: honest it with does. you it still does with me and i have to always watch myself and be aware uh, and be mindful in terms that it really sound annoying but it's 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 everyday life for me and this is not just law enforcement people who work like retail Uh, imagine this you have three customers in a row they're phenomenal and then you have a person that's just angry and if if you go there with them uh, you can start losing control of your own mental emotional boundaries we'll have to talk about that another time before we run out of time let's talk about your website your podcast what you do where people get more information
1: Absolutely. So, my podcast is the only self-help podcast that is hosted by, obviously, a female cop. Um, so, my podcast is uh, if you if, you know if you're going through a mind funk, um, if you you know you are having a hard time, you feel stuck, or you just need a little motivation. My my podcast is um, we have a lot of information, very helpful for that. It's called Changing the Culture. Um, you come to my website, autumnclifford.com. When you land there, I have a free training, and I really encourage anybody who's kind of going through a tough time or just wants to become more resilient uh, in their life, come and take this free training. I, I named it Got Grit, <laughs> and uh, basically it's a, it's a three-part training where I'm going to walk you through how to literally take control of your thoughts and your mindset um, so that you can live a happier life. Uh, If you're on social media at all, come and hang out with me at Officer Autumn. I'm on TikTok, and I'm on Instagram.
0: By the way, all this stuff is great for law enforcement officers, other first responders, combat veterans, military veterans, and everybody else. Autumn, thanks again for your service, and thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated.
1: Thank you for having me, Jay. Appreciate it.
0: There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today radio show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. We've got another great guest on your way next week. I'll miss it. Until then,
1: this is John J. Wiley. See ya.